what I would tell somebody who's pursuing a pastor in New England, just get here, make yourself useful in other ways, do pulpit supply, become a school bus driver, do something like that, and then make personal connections, get in with a network or denomination, but also just send out your resume because you don't know how God would bring you to your landing spot and you don't want to narrow yourself to what you think your vision is for how God's going to walk you along. Welcome back, friends, to the Small Town Summit podcast. Our entire aim with this show is to encourage you in the gospel of Christ, to equip you with resources along the way. I'm really excited today to have my friend Ethan Wormel on the show. Ethan has been pastoring Forestdale Church in Sandwich, Mass for just about four months now. And in talking with him as he pursued a pastorate and after the fact, there is so much wisdom to glean from Ethan uh, of things that God taught him along the way. And so whether you're pursuing a pastorate or praying about doing so now, or you pastor an existing church, I think you'll find much in this episode to glean from. I pray it's an encouragement to you. Here's my conversation with Ethan. Ethan, man, it's a joy to have you on the podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Ben. It's, um, I'm super excited to be here and become more a part of the Small Town Summits community. Man, I'm excited for this topic today of pursuing a pastorate uh, in small places. You may not have known that you were pursuing a small town pastorate when you did, but this is actually the context that you and I met in. You were out in California and you were reaching out to guys in the area about New England. So I don't want to jump ahead too much, but we like to start with guys sharing a little bit about themselves, family life, how you came to Jesus. So tell us a little bit of your personal story. I grew up in Massachusetts. So even though I was in California, you know, this is my home homeland here in a fundamental Baptist church. My mom faithfully brought me and my siblings to church every time the doors were open. My father was not a believer at the time, my whole life growing up, in fact. And uh, we, we prayed for him for years, my whole life growing up, that he'd come to church and become a believer. And I professed faith really early, was baptized probably in first or second grade. I went to the Christian school that the church founded from kindergarten to 12th grade. So I was really um, incubated here in this, um, this bubble. And in a lot of ways, I was great. You know, I, I've learned so much scripture, King James version memorized, you know, in my head and knowing the story of the Bible, even now, as I'm preparing sermons every week, I'm able to make connections because I just know the story of the Bible, mm -hmm. you know, versus needing to do so much more research than I would otherwise. So I'm very grateful that I grew up in a, in a church that, uh, like, like the one I grew up in. Where was that I, church? Um, that was, it's called Twin City Baptist Temple. It's, it's now totally rebranded mm. and it's called City United Church, Pastor Gary Moritz, their Southern Baptist Church now. And I preached there this last weekend for their Sunday service. And what, so town, what town is that? Lunenburg, really Mass. Special. Okay, Lunenburg. And yeah, so, really special. yeah, it was really cool to go back to my home church and preach their services, although it was totally different. But the, the, an old lady in the church, I saw and she was still there. 
she came up to me when I was 14 and said, you know, I think God is calling you to be a pastor. And it was so cool to come full circle and be able to preach to her as wow. a pastor, oh my goodness. Um, you know, 15 years later or That's so. Amazing. Um, it wasn't until high school that I really felt a pull to ministry. I worked at a Christian summer camp in Maine and um, had great mentorship from counselors who were in college, really on fire for the Lord. And I saw I was not on a pathway to end up like these guys. And that's probably actually when I became a believer and dwelled by the Holy Spirit, change of heart, change of life, change of direction. Mm -hmm. But I didn't distinguish that between a call to ministry. So it was one and the same for me where coming to faith, wanting to live for the Lord meant wanting to pastor his people in a place. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't really pursue that um, with all my energy as in going right to Bible college, getting into a pulpit as fast as possible. You know, I thought the Lord will, you know, might call me in the future, but let me just do what's in front of me and build life skills so that I can be useful practically in relating to people. And I joined the Marine Corps after high school and I enlisted and I was in the Marines for five and a half year, but I went in as a Christian and I grew exponentially as a Christian because the discipling relationships you build among Christians in the Marine Corps um, is phenomenal. Mm. And some of those relationships I still have to this day, we're now married with some of my buddies and we're having kids now and we vacation together. So those brotherhoods you form as a Marine, as a Christian, are just doubly strong. Um, I went to multiple churches as I was planted around the States and the world as a Marine. Um, and that's where I continued to grow outside of my fundamental Baptist box. I got to see other types of brothers and sisters in Christ and different types of church cultures. So the non-denominational world of San Diego um, to the church planning Baptist world of Virginia to the home church world of the Island in, Bal in Barbados, where they stream services from the U S sermons because they don't have enough preachers there hmm. for themselves. And then my last stop was an Anglican church in South Africa. I learned in South Africa, very God centered preaching, the most, how I describe, it. I don't know what to say. The most God-centered preaching I've ever heard in my life where mm. they're preaching through the book of Daniel expositionally and they're preaching God, not Daniel, in a way that I had never heard. So the reformed-ish bug started to bite me there of mm. just um, this kind of Christ in all the scriptures way to, of reading scripture and, and teaching and preaching it, which brought me to... Westminster Seminary, California, which was a Presbyterian school. And so I became a better Baptist through all those experiences and still very Baptistic, you know, but um, God wove all those circumstances together to make me more confident in who I am. You know, I think if I stayed in my own little circle or bubble, I, I would, I would have a complex of being insecure because of the unknowns of what who this guy is and where he's from and what they're teaching but i've kind of been around a little bit so that i feel really comfortable now in my own skin 
And I feel like God has given me the best of what all these different communities had to offer. Um, so that that's a little bit part of my journey and regarding wanting to grow in my faith. Hmm. Yeah. You see the grace of the Lord at every turn and uh, one really appreciate your service. How sweet of the Lord to grow you in that time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when a lot of people might think that life in the Marines and whether it's a party scene or yeah, yeah. being around a, a lot of other guys that aren't living for Jesus, that it would really, you know, be a fire of testing your faith. But for you seems like the new birth and a call in the ministry really happened at the same time. Did you always want to move back to new England specifically? Was that something that the Lord stirred in your heart later? And inside of that, did you ever consider planting a church or have you always had a heart to step into uh, more of a revitalization or a pastoring an existing congregation? Regarding discerning a call to come back to New England specifically, I always had an inkling that I would do that uh, because honestly, I just felt bad. Like the biblical way to put it is you had compassion on the crowds, Mm. you know, when you saw them. And what I mean is I was growing so much in Christian communities in California, Virginia, internationally. Everywhere I went, there seemed to be a really cool place to grow as a Christian. And then I remembered what it's like in New England. And I had compassion on that. And I wanted to come back and and just be a part of the faithful work that's being done there. It's the least church part of the United States behind Alaska regarding healthy evangelical churches that preach the gospel. And so I always had that burden. It only increased through the years. And we wanted, my wife and I wanted to bring back all the great things that we've learned from other places. You know, um, I didn't want to see the same tribalism that I grew up in continue either. I wanted to come back and say, guys, I've been around. Anglicans aren't as scary as you think. You know, Presbyterians aren't as dangerous as you think. We can actually do more when we're together. And there's great strengths that God has given these other brothers and sisters in Christ. And how much more energized you're going to be in your calling in life when you get around. The other thing is, in New England, you don't have the luxury of having your own tribe because there's so few Christians at all. So if you're, if you broaden yourself, you'll be able to survive because you're not going to be isolated. So those are other aspects where I think the Lord was preparing me to to come back to New England. When it comes to planting versus pastoring, I always thought I would do church planting because you get to create from, you know, from a blank slate, you're not fighting anybody because you're, you're, you're it. And you're just writing the script and you're launching your plan. When all these experiences have come together in my life, different types of churches, I've accumulated a lot of ideas of what I would like to see a church to be like. Um, And so planting made sense to me. But then when I would talk to pastors and hear about the differences, I thought, you know, revitalization might actually be more suited for New England because there are a lot of historic churches and church buildings that do exist. And in New England, they're usually right in the center of town, right in everyone's face. 
you know? So it's like, can you imagine if there was just a vibrant gospel centered church in everyone's face in the town? So then my vision started to change of saying, Hey, why don't I try to infiltrate one of those churches <laughs> and, um, and see what I can get away with, you know, and see what the Lord might do there. The other issue is, planting and revitalizing have their own unique set of problems you'll have to deal with. And so I looked at the list of problems that are common in church planting and the list of problems that are common in revitalization and thought, which, which set of problems would I rather deal with? And I had to be honest with myself and my own capacities and gifts and energy levels to say, you know what, I'm not a church planner. As much as I want to do it, because in some ways it seemed easier to me to just start out the way you want it to be. Um, I knew I didn't have the energy level for that. I don't have the leadership capacities that tend toward helping church plants. I seem suited for revitalization in that I have a longer term focus. I can deal with people who um, are difficult to deal with over a long period of time. Gracious, patient, like those things come more natural to me versus the, the problems of church planning, of needing to be creative, needing to have a sense of gravity where people just want to be around you. You know, like those are some just circumstantial things that the Lord puts into you that make you good at what you're doing. And I have to be honest with myself that I think the Lord's actually built in me the um, endurance for revitalization versus the energy for mm. church planning. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. We talked about tribalism. I think that unwittingly there can be tribes around planting and revitalization. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So even in doing the podcast, you know, there can kind of be this, hey, I think we've we've done a lot of episodes where planting is kind of elevated as like, this is a really valuable planting in small places. What about revitalization? And that's why I'm really thrilled to get to have this conversation with you because both are vitally important and God sends planters into the fields where people are already doing a work so that those who plant and those who reap can rejoice together. And I want to learn from you and I want our listeners to get to learn from you things that the Lord's shown you along the way in this process of pursuing a pastorate. Because I think there's probably this spectrum where guys feel like it's more spiritual just to get alone in a closet and pray and then have a pastor drop in your lap. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it would be sinful to try to like put things into my own hands and, and then pursue yeah. this. And, and then there is this other, like all logic, all reason kind of void of seeking the direction of the spirit of God and like making it happen. And so Man, I'd love for you to talk to us about what you've learned along the way as you've pursued this pastorate, even um, some of the steps you took, and then some of what the Lord's shown you along the way. Yeah, I've been I've been uh, the the pastor at Forestdale Church in um, Sandwich, Massachusetts, for four months now. Um, I have thirty members in my church. We have a small chapel-like building. The church is over 170 years old, fairly healthy. So even, even healthier than I thought of a church that I would go to and was mm. called to. Um, I had to learn in the process a lot of patience 
because I was the prayer closet guy that thought the Lord would strike his holy lightning and make it just so clear out of nowhere, boom, put it all together. On top of that, I was getting really connected to a lot of pastors in New England. Even while I was in California, I was meeting pastors over the phone and spending a lot of time with different pastors, getting connected, having a lot of people, like I was accumulating cheerleaders of people who were excited about me coming back. And so I'm thinking, well, surely some guy is going to say, oh, Joe, old pastor in this town over is ready to retire. You'd be perfect to fill his shoes. And this is a great church that needs, you know, a lot of love and care. And I'm right over here too. And you'll be, you know, like, I just thought something was going to be handed to me um, because of how connected I was and how much I was really dependent on God in prayer. And I get out here, um, which by the way, I got out here because Stephen Whitmer was like, Ethan, just get out here. It's so helpful if you're just here. Don't wait for a job to come here. Just make up another job and just get here. Hmm. Um, so that was a great uh, piece of advice that he gave me. So actually what I did was when I got out here, I created for myself an internship with the church just to justify you know, uh, moving here. And I started working on my CDL to be a school bus driver. And, and, I, and I even got my license and was driving school buses while I was continued in the search. And that I was productive in that time. But I had a longer outlook, which was good for me because when ministry doesn't come into uh, focus like you thought it would, you can be really crushed by that. But because I had other things I was doing, you know, when ministry wasn't coming to focus, I was disappointed, but I wasn't crushed because, hey, I'm, I'm just getting this job now as a bus driver. And I, it's really exciting to be able to be in a community, you know, or, or I'm doing pulpit supply. I did pulpit supply for three months straight every Sunday at a different church in New England. And it's like, I don't want to be a pastor. I could just do this, you know? So it was just cool to get to do different things. Even though I had my main goals to, to land here as a pastor, I had to learn patience. It was really difficult to deal with church situations and connections, not actually giving you what you th they thought they would. And it turned out I got to the church I'm at simply by uh, sending my resume when I saw the ad for the job. I knew nobody from this church. Nobody from this church knew me or anyone that I even knew. I wasn't even two degrees connected to this church, you know? So what I would tell somebody who's pursuing a pastor at New England, just get here, make yourself useful in other ways, do pulpit supply, become a school bus driver, you know, like, or do something like that. And then do all the above when it comes to applying for jobs, make personal connections get in with a network of denomination, but also just send out your resume hmm. to churches that you aren't connected with because you don't know how God would bring you to your landing spot and you don't want to narrow yourself to what you think your vision is for how God's going to walk you along. Um, so that was some lessons I look back on that I'm grateful for, but yeah, I could have done some things differently as well to have not brought so much heartache on myself or my family during that time. Hmm. Well, I, I want to get to that. Um, but I, I really appreciate how practical this episode is going to be. 
um, even with just some of these real practical tips, like, Hey, you reached out, you, you were one degree of connection from me. So you had a Marine buddy who was part of a church, uh, that Ben Preston pastors at, who has been a guest on the show before. And he reached out to me with you on the text and you and I talked completely Mm -hmm. separate of somehow you reaching out to Whitmer and, Mm -hmm. and I think that those, if the Lord's beginning to stir in people, Lord willing, he is because we're praying for laborers to come labor in this harvest with us. And so as he begins those stirrings, just to begin reaching out, reaching out to you or me as a result of listening to this episode saying, hey, I don't know what this will turn into, but I'd, I'd love to get on a Zoom call and have a conversation and just hear more of the story or more of what Jesus is doing in uh, Cape Cod or Vermont. And you did that. He could have turned those into the exact scenario that you had been praying for. And uh, but I also love the example of, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to press on these doors and see if they open. I'm going to put my resume here and see if, if this door is locked or unlocked, but it's going to require a push for me to see or not. And so I'm going to, I'm going to wait on the Lord actively. Um, yeah. And I'm glad you did, man. I'm glad that didn't seem like an unspiritual move to submit a resume because now look where you are and mm-hmm. getting to faster where you are. And um, it's really good news. So what are some of the things that you would do differently or things that you were talking about heartache for your family along the way. Yeah, I um, would do a residency, you know, so longer than an internship and more in depth. I, I would, you know, if I could go way back, like when I was even in seminary, I would have applied for nine marks residency at Mark Devers Church and done that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, why didn't I do that? I feel so dumb that I didn't do that. <laughs> like, I thought I was just going to land in a church in New England. And I'm sitting here nine months waiting. And I'm like, man, I could be following Mark Dever around right now. Mm. They're during this whole time, you know? So like um, getting involved with some sort of residency would have been helpful. Steven's got a two-year exactly. church, church uh, pastoral residency that he's looking for residents right now at Pepperell Christian Fellowship. So I told him I might quit. I might, I might need to yeah. quit pastoring just to go be part of his residency yeah. so I could learn how to do it better. And how that affects the family, because I had, you know, I have a wife and one son, it would have given them stability, it would have given them a place to grow and flourish and be cared for by a church, rather than just following around this desert prophet, you know, who's just looking for his new spot to preach. Um, It's like, that's cool if you're single, but that's not cool if you have a family. And I could have given them more stability, so that they could have had more health and joy in the process. Mm. Thankfully, the Lord's brought us to this place at Forestdale Church, where my wife and son are just flourishing. They love life here in this town. But I feel bad for the hard road that took to even get to that point. And I probably could have been better at creating an environment for them to be protected and cared for during my searching, you know, Mm. those months or year of, of searching myself. Other than that, I'm not sure there's much I would do differently besides actually, here's one more thing. I would have tried to get my bus license even earlier than I did. Mm -hmm. I probably waited three or four months before I intentionally pursued another part-time job because I, again, I was naive. I was thinking, Oh, I'm just going to land in a church once my internship's up, but that didn't happen. And then I'm like, Oh man, now I should start to look for a part-time job. If I could go back, I would have 
done the part-time job right away. Are and you then still said, using hey, that now? As a matter of fact, when I came to interview for the church, I noticed that there were buses parked in a lot right next to our church. They put up a help wanted sign as soon as I got here. I called them and said, hey, I'm a full-time pastor, so I can't do a morning route and an afternoon route. But if you would let me do just one of those, I'd be happy to drive for you. They said, yeah. sorry, we don't mix up our, we, we don't split up our schedules. You know, I said, okay, well, let me know if anything changes. They called me back the next week and said, we just had a driver said he can't do his local afternoon shift. Would you want to take his afternoon shift? Mm -hmm. You know? And so it was just handed to me. Like, and I, I stuck to my convictions. I need to give the church my time. They called me to be full-time. They didn't call me as a bivocational pastor. So I don't want to take advantage of, of that. And I'm new. I need to learn these, my people, you know, I can't mm -hmm. get so excited about things outside of the church that I overlook what God has actually given me to do. And so that's why I narrowed myself to say, I can only do like 10 hours a week, but the Lord brought that together. And, and again, I don't have the time now to do, to get licensed. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have the capacity to, to do all that. And so I'm glad I took advantage of that open space so that now I can use those things whatever your bivocational side hustle could be, just get it going so that later on down the road, you can, you can start doing that in your ministry. And that could be part of maybe how you integrate the community into your own church or just be creative, but don't wait. That's so good, man. There's, there's other ways to prepare for ministry than just sitting around hoping that something opens up. Yeah. Right. You talked about this residency yeah. or be working on practical skills that you could use towards bivocationalism to provide for your family if the Lord called you to a church where mm -hmm. you couldn't support your family full-time. That would be so valuable to get that in place prior to. Um, you forwarded us an email from a church in Brandon that I think is still looking for a pastor. So maybe the Lord would use this episode to, to like yeah. hug this church up in Brandon, yeah. Vermont with a pastor they asked you really thoughtful questions, but what I was so struck by is they opened up the opportunity for you to ask questions and you hit them back with an email full of really valuable questions that were really thoughtful. So maybe you could walk through just a few of those of things that you found along the way that are helpful for guys that are candidating with other churches. What are some things that they should be thinking about? and what churches should be thinking about. I mean, this church responded to you like, wow, this is a great exercise for us having to think through these questions. Yeah. yeah. Like, so do you have kind of like a framework of things that you thought through that you wanted to ask potential churches about so that they were a good fit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's, a, there's just a pretty common list of problems that church revitalizers deal with that they all can commiserate about. They're just common to life in a pastorate where you're trying to turn a church around. And I realized that those kind of questions, the problems that come up in churches that really ring a pastor out, aren't things that are stated on the website of a church mm -hmm. or on their job description when they're looking for a pastor. And so I wanted, again, learning from my in-between time, looking for a pastorate, not being able to care for my family as much as I I wish I, I could have and did. I then am thinking, I want to care for my family by bringing them into a church environment that's going to love on them too. Mm -hmm. And so I have to ask questions that will hopefully prevent 
those serious problems in the future. Like, I don't want to find out about things later on that I could have known about from the start. And so first, my wife taught me this in the business world. You should interview them as much as they interview you. So I would ask them questions like one of the first questions I would ask was, do you have any significant debt or any pending legal issues as a church? And I asked multiple churches this um, if they ever called me back. And that's really good question to ask because, <laughs> because my friend Gary at City United, when he got there, he tells me the story of how he inherited lots and lots of debt that he didn't know about. And it took the church years and years and years to get out of that. And they almost had to close multiple times because the bank was ready to come seize all the assets of the church and just close it down. Mm. He didn't know any of that when he agreed to come and be the pastor. So a church isn't going to tell you that up front necessarily. So you have to ask that unless you're single and you don't care. But if you have a family, I think you kind of, you have some sort of moral obligation, I think, to do your due diligence to make sure you're not bringing your wife and children into a toxic environment that has been chewing pastors up and spitting them out. And if I got the inkling of that, then I didn't really give it too much more time. Not that I, by the way, I I don't think I ever found a church like that, by the way. Mm. Um, Everyone out here in New England seemed very genuine and nice. And I was like, it was hard for me to even meet a church that I knew I wasn't going to pastor because I, especially during my pulpit supply tour, you know, so debt and legal issues is, is an important question that I, that I would ask. And then I would say, Hey, I understand, you know, your statement of faith and I can subscribe to that fully, but are there any theological issues that are really important for your church? That if someone started to press on it, it would bother you guys and make you uncomfortable. Or has there been theological issues that the church historically has divided because of? Mm. Because on on a statement of faith, everything looks equal. But the reality is there are particular parts of your statement of faith, which actually might be more sensitive to the church. So that helped me gauge culturally where the church is at. I know theologically where they're at, but culturally, do they have a little hobby over here on this? On Mm -hmm. this? issue. So I wanted to learn those cultural aspects of the church that, like I said, aren't on the website. They're on, they aren't on your church constitution, your covenant. What is the actual culture of the people that are here? Mm-hmm. So then another third question I would ask was, you know, just tell me about the historic splits in the church. You know, what, what's, what's happened in your lifetime as a member here? Why? I just very explicitly ask, ask these questions because, um, is this culture still here in some ways? I want to know what I'm, when I'm stepping into because you don't have to say yes to anyone who offers you a job. That's not following God's call. That's not what that means. Mm-hmm. I, I felt convicted. God called me to pastor a church in New England. He didn't tell me which church it was. So that meant I needed to be discerning and wise and that was, that was a really good experience because I'm, not, I'm a peacemaker. I don't like asking those kinds of questions, but I felt convicted as a husband and a father to do that. And like you said, and I didn't mean to even include you guys in that email. That was, a mis- that was an accident that you saw my questionnaire. Yeah, yeah, sorry. But the church <laughs> said, as you read, wow, thank you for these questions. It was a good process for us as a church to go through, for us as a search committee to even get on the same page when we realized we actually were in different directions and we're looking for a different kind of pastor. So God used it on multiple levels to bring, I think, greater health 
to me and to the churches that I, I talk with. Man, I don't know if those questions just came up from just your own curiosity, if you found those from anywhere, but I literally have sent these questions to guys on our staff that are praying about pastoring other places. Like you need to flag this. Uh -huh. um, we may need to even feature some of it in an article because you had questions that were as obvious or mainstream as church polity and leadership and how that actually functions in practice and wow. about church membership. But I thought also really helpful, like what are the expectations of the pastor when it comes to church events or communication with the pastor and mm -hmm. what, what people's expectations are for this one guy or are there multiple elders? And again, see, yeah, like, these are not things that are advertised, right? They don't tell you these things on the church website. They don't tell you them in their statement of faith or constitution, you know, but it's, Hey, that's great. You have elders and deacons, but how do they relate to each other? You know, who's making what decisions and why again, with the, the demand of the pastor and his family, if, if my wife isn't at everything, are people going to take offense to that? You know, those, those kind of just cultural questions. There's and you even ask them if you could be bivocational, which I think yeah. is very interesting because it may not be a question that a lot of guys would think to ask, but then they're, they're in a situation where they, they need to be, whether convictionally, because they want to have more irons in the fire in the community so they can meet other people and they want to do it as like kind of a, a strategy for mission or their family needs the supplemental income and the church is like, no, mm -hmm. we won't let it happen. It communicates something wrong to the church or whatever else. I saw that happen with a friend in a church where they begrudged him doing bivocational work as a means of ministry. And I wouldn't have thought to ask that question until I saw you ask it. And I'm like, ah, man, that's a wise question. I wanted to ask questions that they maybe never thought of before. So that was one question. Another question would be, and this isn't really a problem. I think a lot of churches deal with, but if your church got so big, you know, that, that w would you rather have a second service, do a satellite campus or plant the church? Now, I don't know what I would do as a pastor. I just want to see where they're at. Hmm. What kind of, what kind of culture does this church have? You know, how, how do they think? Um, and those are just revealing questions to learn the church better. And I accumulated those through other pastor friends that I asked, Hey, what would be good questions to ask? What are questions you wish you asked before you went to your church? And mm -hmm. just accumulated them from, from guys that were further along than me. And it, I just want to make this note about questioning, interviewing the church. As I said, I'm not trying to make a church feel bad about themselves. I want to learn how I can position myself to serve these people. That's why I'm asking these questions. Because if God calls me to them, I want to know how I can serve them best. And, and I'll learn that if I know who they are, what kinds of people they are, what they believe, what's near and dear to their heart. And so I want to position myself to serve them better. That's why I want to get to know them. And it really did help me when I got to my church, because now I knew not to plow over certain things. And, and what things I needed to get under that were actually going to really encourage, encourage them and blow them away with edification because I got to know who they are and where their heart was at. Super valuable, man. Man, any, any recommended resources 
that have been helpful in this process? The issue of pursuing a pastorate in New England is patience. That's the issue that I learned. I didn't need to learn how to plant a church. I didn't need to learn how to revitalize a church because that, that's not what God had called me to in that moment. What he called me to in that moment was to learn how to be faithful into, into what was in front of me, which meant getting my hours in to, so I can get my license, doing family worship with my, my wife and you know, son, doing the Sunday school class at my local church, you know, those kinds of things. I had to learn patience and faithfulness. And so resources that actually helped me do that were things you might not think of. I had just come out of seminary. I was reading a lot of theology. I was getting prepped, you know, for all these churches that I'm never going to pastor. And I was getting really discouraged and depressed even because I wasn't finding a call. And then I decided, you know what, forget all this. I'm just going to read through the Chronicles of Narnia again. And I'm just going to rest in another world because my world is depressing right now. And I read through all the Chronicles of Narnia and that lifted my soul in so many ways. And it made me more energized now to come back into the pulpit and to keep traveling to, to other churches and visit. You need to be able to find a place to rest. So a recommended resource is something that's going to help you to rest. You just need a companion to walk with you through that season of life. Hmm. And for me, it was not the next systematic theology book or the next, even, even the next how to revitalize a church in New England book. Mm-hmm. I did read big gospel in small places during that time. That was really helpful because it kept pushing me into the heart of what I would need. Um, so that that gave me a heart for ministry here. It was restful in that way because it wasn't adding things to my brain. It was filling up my heart. And mm. so oh, that's good. resources that are going to give you a place for rest and, and do some soul searching, you mm. know, so th- those are some of the the resources I end up turning to at the back end of my time. C.S. Lewis and Stephen Whitmer. Just being able to sit with those two guys in your back porch, you know. That's good, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, bro, you have um, a parting word of encouragement for guys that are praying about the possibility or are even maybe already in process of pursuing this calling to pastoral ministry, but they they're either stalled out or they're just getting started and, uh, but they're pursuing a pastorate. I would say get connected with the small town summit ministry team guys, because you guys for me have sobered me up to what life is actually like out here as a pastor. And yet you guys have all been able to make me more excited about it at the same time. So I would say get connected with other pastors and just listen to their story. I always would ask, where were you before you came to New England and your, your current church? How did you get there? Just tell me that story. Mm-hmm. That was a really helpful thing to do because what you hear is multiple different stories that don't sound the same. Mm-hmm. The totally different routes God puts people through to get to where they are in New England. And that encouraged me because it, because when my route didn't look like everyone else's, I said, oh yeah, well, I've. I've heard about this guy. This is how God works. You know, so I felt encouragement because I learned the diversity of ways God brings people here. But then I also would hear what was common among you all as things I needed to make sure I got right. For example, I needed to be ready to be committed to a long pastorate, a long, slow pastorate, not short, exciting bang. 
of a, of a pastor in New England. Really come to terms with that. Because if you're not really okay with a long, slow pastorate, then you're just not going to be able to serve a church well. And they're now going to have to recover when you leave because mm. you couldn't cut it. I just had breakfast with the pastor this morning who said, in my network, we keep losing church planners and they're going back to the South where they came from. No offense, man. No offense, thank you. And, and he was discouraged by it. He was crying out, you know, like the Psalms, just Lord, like what is going on? Like, is this so discouraging? I don't know all the circumstances of every person who leaves ministry. There's a complex of reasons of why ministry gets hard. But for me, I can at least come to terms with what the reality is in New England, which is long and slow and faithful. Mm -hmm. And if I don't have the energy capacities for that, then maybe I should just do something else somewhere else for the kingdom of God and glorify God in that. Mm -hmm. So get connected with actual pastors and hear actual stories. But back to the, the last thing I'll say, what to do next is like Stephen told me, just get here. Uh, just get here, find something fun to do for a couple of years and start searching. So find a healthy church, find a part-time job. This is what I would do. I would email whatever church I wanted to go to and say, is there anyone that can house me in your church? Mm -hmm. Pastor, can you ask your whole church if anyone can house me in their bedroom or something? I'm going to find a part-time job or full-time job even, and I'm just going to be a member of your church, but mm -hmm. I'm going to pursue a pastor during that time. And I want you to help me do that. That sounds fun. Yeah. And it would be the best email that any pastor got in like the whole year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let me pray about it. And I think I'd probably build onto my house. If somebody, if somebody <laughs> texts me, that, like I'll build a bedroom. You can come up. Yeah, man. Cause we do, you're right. We need, uh, we need laborers. The reality is, you know, these churches change, you know, I'm pastoring the church that we planted eight years ago and there's sometimes that it feels like the church that we planted needs revitalizing now yeah. and it's you go through all these different seasons some are really joyous some are really painful we're always praying for laborers to come make disciples here and i think um getting that experience along in the runway will help prepare guys for mm -hmm. what to expect mm -hmm. when um for a faithful endurance for a long haul and it makes Man, sense if, if a pastor in New England is long and slow, you would think that the runway up to that point would, would, would be a little bit slower than other runways that you find. Yeah. So that's why I, I say what I say about, I mean, if I could go back, I would have done more of a residency. Um, you know, you want to pull back the bow as far as you can go, because as soon as you let it go, it's gone. So you mm -hmm. might as well pull it back as far as you can. So mm -hmm. you can get the huge, powerful shot that's going right to the target. That's awesome. Well, man, thanks for letting us glean from some of the wisdom that the Lord's shown you along the way. Super thrilled that you're here um, for Forestdale's sake, but also for our sake and getting to have your friendship. And it is helpful in the same way that you have the camaraderie with Marine buddies and being in the mm -hmm. trenches together. I think mm -hmm. there's a real way in which we have that here um, around New England, you know, but it's a small enough place and a hard enough place where you, you, you become close in the foxholes with guys. And yeah, man, I'm thankful that you're here and to labor alongside you from distance. And um, we pray in that the Lord roots you and establishes you well and grows his church in sandwich. 
Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Well, you heard it from Ethan. So thankful for his time, but his parting words of encouragement were get connected and get here. And so if you'd like to connect with anybody on our team, you can reach out to us at smalltownsummits at gmail.com. And if you want that long runway for a long ministry in New England, we would love to talk to you more about pastoral residencies at any of our churches. And we would love to help equip you and help you to find the place that uh, God has for you long term. If you find yourself in a season of waiting on the Lord as you are praying and seeking Him for direction, then my prayer for you today is that you would grow strong in faith as you wait on Him and that He would lead you and guide you in the way that you should go and counsel you with His eye upon you. He wants uh, His will for your life more than you do. And so I'm praying that He would lead you exactly to where He wants you to be in His perfect timing and that He would give you grace to trust Him along the way. Lord bless you.